Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager, Fireside Chat. God knows what number, but we're approaching 300. I can tell you that. Well, what do they say when there's an elephant in the room? You should acknowledge its existence or its presence. It's not an elephant, but it is a bulldog. I'd like to introduce all of you to Mr. Tubbs. I have a lot of thoughts on this subject because it raises so many interesting issues. We just, uh, he just arrived, courtesy of our son, Reed. And I want to make a, f- a few observations here on, on really a subject I don't talk about a lot, love. But this raises so many interesting questions. Some people might think, what, Otto just died two weeks ago and you already have a, a new dog? I don't know if people actually ask that. But I thought about it, so I assume people might think about it or, or even have some ambivalence about that. So let me, let me address this subject, because it applies to human life. For example, I have spoken on my radio show to many people who have remarried after the after a divorce or a, after being widowed and their children their adult children are actually angry at them for remarrying quickly whatever quickly means within a year within 2 years maybe in some cases within 3 years or 4 years So first we'll talk about the dog issue and is it in any way, quote unquote, a sort of insult to Otto that we have this dog in, as it were, on the fireside chat and in his bed? So let me make something clear. There's no replacing Otto. Otto will remain in my wife's and mine and many others' uh, memories for a very long time. So there's no such thing as this is the replacement. Otto's not replaceable. But unlike human beings, you can get another dog, and people do and should. If God forbid your child dies, you don't get another child. You might give birth to another child, but there's no such thing, which is in and of itself, the rather important lesson that humans are not animals or pets and and animals are not humans. But the larger issue is love. And I, I was thinking about this, about people remarrying after the death it's, it's obvious that they'll do that after a divorce, but there are people who have been married 40 years and then one of the spouses dies and then they remarry. And often the children who, who might well be in their 30s or 40s are, are actually angry at the parent. Let's say it's, it's, it's a mom who died. Dad, I can't believe it. You, you got married a year after mom died, two years after mom died, three years after mom died, fill in, or, or, or at any time. The, the children 
want to remain in the world of that's their family. And now this other woman or this other man has now come in and is not that family, but is, is now the husband or the wife of your mother or father. So it, I understand it, although I have not lived through that, I understand that. But it's a bit selfish to really, in effect, want your parent to stay alone the rest of their lives, or at least for a, a prolonged period. My mother used to say all the time, it was, it was a really a powerful saying, which obviously I remember because it etched itself in my memory, life is for the living. And that doesn't mean we forgot those who died. There's no such thing. Of course we didn't. But to, to not want the best for your parent is, is sort of selfish. It may be natural, but it's still selfish. Why, why is it good for dad to be alone or mom to be alone? It isn't. In the dog world, there's, there's love to be given to a, a, a pet and why, why, why should one be bereft of that opportunity to love usually a, a dog or a cat? So it, it raises very interesting things. More on love. This is a cliche. I'm not a fan of cliches, but they become cliches because they're true. Love is not a pie. I don't know if you've ever heard that saying. And if you haven't, maybe it's not a cliche. <laughs> What does it mean love is not a pie? Very simple. You have a pie and you cut out a slice and somebody eats it. So obviously there's less left of the pie. Until you eat enough slices, there's no more pie left. But that's not love. Love is not taking away from love when you give love to another. People need to understand that. They'll be a, a lot more secure, for example, Let's say you are divorced and your child does bond with a step-parent. Your ex has remarried. That doesn't diminish the love for you. There's no such thing. It's just the, the child's world of love has expanded. It's actually a good thing. I don't know. Well, he, is he debating whether to stay? Is he on camera? just trying to get comfortable. He's trying to get comfortable. This is his first day here, folks. You're seeing a very uh, a, a amazing thing. I have to say, uh, bulldogs are, are a very funny, uh, very funny species of, of a dog, which is why we love them. Uh, I love when a dog makes me smile and laugh, which Otto did every day. And he's, he's already begun to do the first day. Anyway, love is not, not a pie. The more, the merrier. That, that's pretty much it. If you have a very close friend whom you love, and you should love your close friend, and then you get another friend, does it, let's say you even love, does that diminish the love you had for the first? I, I'll tell you personally, I do love men in my life. I always have. It's been one of the greatest things in my life, my male friends. And I have had incredible joy 
from the fact that they meet each other and then they love each other. It, it doesn't even occur to me, oh, you know, well, I thought I thought they were my friend. No, it, it's it doesn't work that way in life. So uh, these are just some thoughts on getting another dog two weeks after your previous one has died and about step parents and about friends. It, it doesn't work that way. I know this is a simple thought, but we should want what is best for the other. When a, when a man or a woman remarries after being widowed, uh, divorce is a separate issue, but after being widowed, the fact that they have married somebody doesn't mean they didn't love the one who died. It's silly to even think that way. What should the spouse do? Well, in honor of my ex, I will, I will never marry. God, I wouldn't want that for my wife. And I, I fully expect that I will leave this world before she does, hopefully in a long time, but nevertheless. It, 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 it doesn't occur to me. Our love is real. And, uh, and that's true for the people who remarry. They, as my mom said, life is for the living. It's not a selfish concept. It's just you have to live this life and to live it in as, in as rich a way as you can, in as full a way as possible. I'm not, uh, I'm not a fan of asceticism. In case you don't know the word, asceticism is a doctrine of depriving oneself of pleasure in the name of some cause, like in the Middle Ages, and even later, there would be uh, Christians who would wear hair shirts, more Catholics than Protestants, but uh, they, they would think that, that there was a holiness, a hair shirt it, it had coarse hairs on it, so the whole day you were in, in, in some slight pain. A lot of religious people associate pain with religiosity. This is a, a, a part of the, uh, the human condition, which I've always found weird. I, I identify joy with religiosity, not pain. On the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, or Yom Kippur, as it is often said, I fast 24 hours, 25 hours, whatever it ends up, but at least 24 hours, and that includes no, no water, no drinking. Okay, but that's one day a year, and it has a special purpose, and I find it meaningful, and I'm very lucky I fast very easily. It, it, it means nothing to me, uh, basically. Uh, but uh, generally speaking, you know, there's a great line in the, in the Hebrew Bible, worship God in happiness. And I've often noted the best advertisements for religion are happy religious people, and the best advertisements for atheism are unhappy religious people. So uh, you, you should, you know, my whole doctrine of pursuing happiness. Happiness is a, is, is a religious obligation aside from just a personal and, and societal obligation. As I always say, the happy make the world better, the unhappy make it worse. I'm, I'm living through that right now in the United States of America. So anyway, some thoughts on love, on committing to someone or something new. Uh, 
And I welcome Mr. Tubbs, who is already uh, cracking me up. All right, to thine questions be true. There we go. Hi, Dennis. It's Prager Force Coordinator Noah Kleckner here, and I had a quick question about religious schools. So I grew up going to a Christian private high school that was relatively conservative. However, when it came to politically sensitive topics or culturally sensitive topics, my school had a tendency to not address that or incorporate it in its curriculum. Do you believe that it is important and that it is somewhat of an obligation on behalf of the church to educate its students and prepare them for what to expect in the real world. Thanks so much. Ooh, I, I, oh, okay, one minute. This would be an amazing moment. I, I undid it. My answer is yes. <laughs> it bugs me when religious institutions, churches, or religious schools do not address uh, issues in society. I don't want the church or the synagogue to be a political place. But as a school, I don't even want it to be a political place either, as it were. But if religion has nothing to say about the great issues of the time, then of what use is, is the religion? If you're at a Christian school and it doesn't address this absurdity that sex slash gender is non-binary, that there are more than two sexes, which is a grandiose lie, then of, of what relevance is the religion? I mean, that, that's a pretty big deal. If the religion has nothing to say about, uh, about this issue, I mean, do these laws matter? Deuteronomy says a man should not wear women's clothing. Uh, Genesis says that God created the human being male and female. He created them. It's a very big deal to keep the male-female distinction real and alive. And if a religious school doesn't teach that, what is it teaching? Faith? But, but what is it? Faith without works is dead, said James in the New Testament. I mean, what, what works are you supposed to engage in? Obviously, charity and kindness and all that. And that's terrific but it's not enough. There are a lot of charitable and kind people who do a lot of harm in society. We're two beings, the human being, macro and micro, and they are often unrelated. There are people who have great macro values who are awful human beings on, on, a, on the micro level of human to human. There are people who are really kind and sweet human to human and have terrible values. I, I remember once saying that uh, there were slaveholders who treated a lot of people kindly, and then uh, the left wing went crazy. Prager says slaveholders are kind people, <laughs> which is typical of the left, because truth is not a left wing value. It's a liberal value, and it's a conservative value. It's not a left wing value. I have no doubt that there were Nazis in, in Germany who supported the Nazi genocidal racist regime and who on a personal level were loving to their kids and to their spouse and had good friends. And there are people who have great macro values who understand the issues of society, but they're not particularly nice to their spouse or to, to their friends or all that necessarily honest in business. Uh, 
we're morally speaking, we are two beings, the macro and the micro, and religion needs to address both of them, not just the micro. Good question. Patrick, 34, Bratislava, Slovakia. I was just there in Bratislava two years ago. Dear Mr. Prager, in March 2024, I will be leaving Europe for the U.S. with the hope of becoming a citizen within the next five years. I am writing to seek a recommendation on which state in the union I should move to. As a freedom-loving person, I am looking for a conservative state, or rather one that is least leftist. Ideally, I am looking for a state with a cool climate, but not as cold as Alaska. I've been considering Montana and North Dakota as possible options, but I'm still unsure your advice would be a decisive factor in my decision. You're putting a lot of pressure on me. Thank you, sir, for being a force for goodness. May God bless you, Patrick. Well, there are a lot of cold states in the United States, uh, and a, a fair number of them are conservative, like in the Midwest, for example. Nebraska would be an example of a conservative state, and it gets quite cold there. When you mention Montana and North Dakota, I'm not sure that Alaska is colder than Montana. I, I would be very curious, actually, to see uh, what, uh, what the temperatures are in Anchorage uh, versus Helena, for example, or Butte, and, or North Dakota, you know, Bismarck versus Anchorage. I don't know the answer. But it gets quite cold in the, uh, the non-coastal areas of the United States. So you have a lot of places to choose from. And let me know when you come. Christian, 27, Reunion, Florida. Hi, Dennis. I'm a 27-year-old conservative. Thanks to PragerU. That's nice. And I listen to you daily. I never miss an episode of Dennis and Julie or Timeless either. Good. That's, I'm very happy to hear that. It's a unique thing with Dennis and Julie. Things come out there that don't come out elsewhere. Your show has encouraged me to think about ultimate issues, and I have been grappling with a question for the past two weeks in studying the book of James with my pastor. How does one become patient? Oh, man. How does one learn to wait? I would greatly appreciate your wisdom. Be blessed. Shalom. Christian says shalom. That's cool. Thank you. Shalom to you, Christian. How do you learn to be patient? This is my theory on all good traits. If you want to be it, you can be it. People ask me all the time, how do you become courageous? By wanting to be courageous. That's how you become courageous. And then act courageously. You are what you want to be and you become what you act. I'm very, very, very mind-centered. Probably a little more than most people. Not, no, I'm sure a, a, a lot more than many people and a little more than most people. I have very deep emotions, but I'm very mind-centered. So I, I have taught myself to be patient because what's my choice? Aggravate myself? I don't like being unhappy. <laughs> I don't. And if, if you're impatient, you're making yourself unhappy. What, what, is your, what does your impatience gain you? Will something happen sooner if you're not patient? So that's my answer to that. 
take the serenity prayer and half your issues will be, will be solved. To know what I think, to know what I can change and the wisdom to know the difference so, or accept what I can change if that's what it is. And that, that's, that's the way life works. It's like worrying. What, what good does worrying do? Nothing. You don't change anything by worrying. All you've done is made yourself miserable. Most of the time in life, what you worry about doesn't happen. That's the irony. So you really made your mis yourself miserable for no reason. And well, he's, uh, he's a serious breather. <laughs> and now an interlude, ladies and gentlemen. Concerto for nostrils and orchestra. Wow. I don't remember, maybe when they're very young, uh, well, we'll see. Although a lot of the bulldogs have, uh, have this breathing issue. I don't even know if it's an issue, it's just the way they breathe. He's definitely out, finally. You good boy. All right, anyway, that, that's the answer. You learn to be patient, otherwise you'll drive yourself crazy. And that's not fun. Okay, Robert, no age or location submitted via email. Well, you still could have given age and location. I am looking for an explanation from Dennis why the golden rule is not a sufficient moral compass. Good one. Good question. I contend that without religion, there can be no morals. I was shouted down by my atheist leftist who claim the golden rule is all one requires. I would love to see an explanation that refutes this claim. I appreciate your response. Thank you. So the golden rule is essentially do not treat others as you would want to be treated or the negative. Uh, both are accurate. Do not treat others the way you would not want to be treated. So uh, the atheist friend said, I don't need religion. All I need to do is follow that rule. The rule is, is a very good rule, and one should definitely live by it, but is it sufficient? Let me ask, uh, ask your uh, atheist friend this question. If they put signs on highways, drive as you would wish others would drive, how helpful would that be? <laughs> it would be worthless, completely. People would laugh at the sign. Maybe it would affect 2% of drivers. Maybe, if we're lucky. So yes, if you really live by that rule, you will be a better person. That's true. But you need a lot more than that. You need the wisdom to know when to do that. I mean, for example, don't we imprison murderers and rapists and, and uh, bank robbers? Well, are we treating them the way we would want to be treated? Would you want to be jailed if you robbed a bank? No. So it's a, it's a, it's a nice idea. I, I wish people lived by it more than they do now, but it's hardly sufficient. Also, what if, what if it entails personal sacrifice? How would that rule have applied to whether or not to close down schools during COVID. How would that rule, ask your atheist friend, okay? You're, this, you're guided by the golden rule, all right. Sh it's COVID, should we lock down schools? 
Should we deprive kids of school for almost two years? How does the golden rule possibly apply? You need to know a lot more than a golden rule to know whether or not to close schools. You need something even more than a golden rule. You need wisdom and you need courage. Wisdom told me that nothing should be locked down. And I acted like there were no lockdowns. You can watch all these fireside chats from the beginning of COVID on. I completely opposed the lockdowns from the second month. I said they were the greatest international mistake ever made. And I'm right. We are, we are only beginning to see the horrible economic, health, psychological ramifications of the damn lockdowns. I get so angry when I think about it that I, I, my usual calm self is uh, overcome. I hate the people who told us to have lockdowns. I hate them. By the way, the same experts who believed in lockdowns also believe uh, in, in going all electric uh, because of, uh, of climate change. There is no amount of damage the quote-unquote experts can do that ha has them lose their credibility in people's eyes. I don't know why. People are trained, if you hear the words experts say, you don't question it's not quite enough uh, to uh, just say I live by the golden rule. Okay. Margaret 20, Starkville, Mississippi. Hello, Mr. Pregman. Thank you for accepting questions of the people. That's so cute. Of the people. I'm a people too. You've traveled annually since you were around my age. That's right. How did you design your trips and why did you choose to go to a country? I'm wondering your thinking, your process, and the planning. You know what I basically did? I, <laughs> I looked at a map of the world and sort of mentally threw a dart at the map and went there. <laughs> My criterion for where I went was, did I go there already? And if I didn't, I went there. I wanted to see as many places on earth before I leave this world. And I've been to 131 countries. And it's very hard to add countries at this point, I will, I will tell you. The, this is not easy going after 130. <laughs> uh, that, that was it. I, I, there, was no, there was no rhyme or reason. Uh, if I saw that there was a special cheap rate, because I, I didn't have any money for a long chunk of my life, I mean, I don't mean any money, but I didn't have money to, to fly first class or business class or, or even expensive economy class. So I remember once they said, uh, I was still living in New York in my early 20s. They said it was $200 round trip to Rome from New York. I bought the ticket. And then since I had been to Rome, I immediately went to Bulgaria, <laughs> where I hadn't been. That's it? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Okay, excellent. Well, Mr. Tubbs is here. We, we lovingly remember Otto. I hope you'll enjoy Mr. Tubbs, and I'll see you next week. Thank you for watching this video. To keep PragerU videos free, please consider making a tax-deductible donation.